Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.org, where we discuss biblical topics and questions from the audience each week. If you're joining us from our Facebook page, please post your questions in the comments box. If you're watching today from the BibleQuest app, please open the Q&A window and post your questions from there. And we're going to want to hear from you, obviously, from either source. So please give us your questions or comments during the show, and uh, we'll do our best to get through every one of them. Well, as you know, I have other fellow panelists on with me each week, but they are not here today. But fear not, I have two special guests joining the show today. Uh, let me introduce Dale Smeltzer from Bowie, Maryland. Hi, Dale. How are you doing? Hey, Drew. It just occurred to me, the last time I saw you, it was down here in D.C. Well, that goes back about three years. Uh, yes, it does. Wait a minute. No, I saw you once in Exton at Jeff's yes. meeting. But outside of that, you're right, three years. Well, right. glad you're joining us today, Dale. Good to be here. And uh, also, we have uh, Larry Rouse from Auburn, Alabama. Hi, Larry. How you doing? Great to be with you today, Drew. Looking forward to the program. Oh, great. And I want to thank both of you for accepting my invitation to join. Um, I just want to make sure that I have... Right Things Broadcasting. It looks like we do. Good to go. I don't have other people helping me with technical today, so if I sound like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, everybody, you understand why. Listen, today we're going to be talking about something interesting. Well, we're always talking about something interesting, but I think a, a unique approach of looking at John the Baptist. Um, I hope that something, some of what we're talking about instead sparks a, um, a question or two from you in the audience. So, uh, we really like to hear from you. But, you know, guys, I've got two questions myself, a couple of questions. But before I get to them, Larry, I'd like you to start off the conversation. What do you have? Obviously, if you're watching this program, you know that we are wanting to talk to you about Christ and Christianity. Anyone that is a Christian would have a sense of being a debtor, as Paul was in Romans 1.14, to want to share the good news they have received with others. But it really takes wisdom for us to learn how to talk with others as we're trying, even talking to you today, about considering Christ and his claims, and we'd love you to find and know his blessings. But how do you go about it? How do we go about reaching a culture that is becoming more and more alienated and distant from Christianity? And I look back in the Bible, and we can gain from God's wisdom and studying John the Baptist, because it's very interesting as you look at look at him and his work. Uh oh, what happened? We lost Larry. Larry, do you hear us? Uh oh. Uh, you know. <laughs> Didn't I tell you, Dale, it's usually when we go live, we get these technical glitches. Oh, Larry, are you back? Okay, looks like we're having some kind of issue today. Y'all back with us? Yeah, you're back there. Larry, you were going out. It was uh, something on your end. Yes, yes. I started having some difficulties. It looked like the moment that I, that we began speaking, right before speaking. Anyway, uh, where were we? How, how far did we get? <laughs> oh, only maybe the last 20 seconds, that's all. Okay, great. Well, as we try to seek wisdom to help others know who the Lord is, we need to go to, uh, I guess, the God's approach as he attempted to prepare people for Christ. John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 4, 
the scripture says this. It is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This was a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 40 and verse 3. And the scriptures, as well as John the Baptist, when they ask, who are you? He says, I have come to do this. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. And so the question that I would ask is, how did he do that? Can we learn some things about how he prepared, in this case, Israel? Now, understand Israel was a group of a nation that understood the scripture. But Israel at that time was so similar to our culture. You had only a few seeming to serve God. There was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of hypocrisy in the religious world. I, I have a question for you. Okay. You're saying it was similar to our, Why was it that it was necessary that uh, something had to be, be prepared? Well, when you have the Messiah coming, the, God and his plan wanted that to be most effective. And therefore, a preparation before the main event, I think, I guess human nature, wouldn't it be true that we would maybe need some uh, introduction, preparation uh, before we receive the, uh, in that which was going, to, was going to be great, was going to be very, very different. Well, that's, uh, isn't that similar to what, sorry to interrupt you, but I just realized that uh, politicians do that when they come into an area before they come in, there's, there's some other people that come in first to prepare yeah. for them, right? I mean, is that similar? It has some similarity. Probably the big deal is this, is that God and his plan, even though potentially all men could become Christians, God and his plan was really going after a certain kind of person. And if you begin to look at the ministry of John the Baptist, he began preaching this way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repentance is a huge word. And what God wanted was a people who, whose hearts would have turned and that they would then be willing to receive the Messiah. Dale? Larry, I'd like to pick up on this command that you've mentioned of repent. You know, we've talked, and we talked some this morning, about the greatness of John the Baptist. And there are many reasons he was great, and we can go into some of the reasons for that. But I was thinking, you know, John might not receive such a great reception today out there in the wilderness, in the camel's hair, and locust and wild honey, in his plain speaking. But the more I thought about it, he may well have been received about like he was with people with a certain kind of heart and rejected by the leadership. So it's not so much his style. It's not so much where he was. It was the courage, the determination, the fortitude that he had. And probably that's a lesson for us that we don't need the fancy church buildings. I'm not against church buildings. Air conditioning is wonderful. <laughs> but what we need is that grit, that determination, that sense of mission. And when more of us have that, and I'm including us as gospel preachers, we may succeed in two things. We may succeed in getting people to repent and we may succeed in having a lot of those higher ups in other places turn greatly against us and cause a lot of conflict. Is that maybe that deals with something I was looking through your article, Larry, and you had a comment where it says that 
it's a great mistake where we want to leave evangelism to the professionals. Does that kind of relate to what Dale was saying? Absolutely. Um, in order to accomplish God's purpose, you want men and women, first of all, who see this world is not what they want. There's dissatisfaction with it. They're, they're looking for something more. They don't want to be given the shallow, empty answers that you get are given all the time. But when they find it, then they want to share that. And true, John the Baptist was a prophet. Yes, he was one with a particular ability that was given. But we do see in his work that he created a group of people who likewise got it. They wanted God. They wanted truth. They didn't care about all the fluff. And let me mention another thing, Drew, very interesting here. Do you know where the apostles of Jesus, were, were, where they came from? Where were they first before Jesus came on the scene? Were they following John? They were followers of John the Baptist. Go to John chapter 1, and there's John saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then you have they, they got, got Simon is introduced to Jesus, and others are introduced to Jesus. We're talking about preparation. Guess what? John had prepared the apostles before Jesus came on the scene. They had been developed. Their character had been shown. They'd been taught. Dale? And this preparation, to go back to something you were mentioning a moment ago, about one to prepare the way. John didn't just pop on the scene and say, hey, I'm the forerunner. Yeah, what? But there were the prophecies in the past that foretold him that prefigured him, especially in Elijah. And so when he comes and they can see these similarities and they can tie him to the scriptures, God was at work in this. His plan was in effect. There was one to prepare the way and here he is. And he could raise the anticipation, which would scare some people and it would be a blessing and heartwarming to them and give them hope. Uh, talking about ordinary people, um, you know, the first, we read in Acts, the book of conversions, and we've got all of them in Jerusalem with the apostles. But the next big conversion we study about are the Samaritans. There was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem. The church was scattered because of the persecution of Paul. He went to Samaria and had great results up there. It's still him again, Philip again, when he converts the eunuch. And later on, as these Christians are scattered, and some of those who are scattered, of Cyrene and Cyprus, they went over to Antioch, and they started preaching, and they did something that had not been done extensively. They started preaching to Gentiles. So what you've got are ordinary Christians, not professionals, not clergymen, disciples of Jesus Christ, prepared, seeing the preparation, and fulfilling his mission and his will. I want to take just a minute to show you how this works. Can I have about two minutes? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. In Prague, there was a soldier, and he was exceedingly interested in the gospel, but he hadn't obeyed it. And we wondered why. And he said, well, I'm about to get out of my military service. I will be going two and a half hours south of Prague. I will be the only Christian in that city. What will I do? And I bravely said for him, you will start a church. And he said, how will I do that? I said, well, we'll help you. Brethren here will help you. And sure enough, he obeyed the gospel. He went down there. He was alone. He went down to the river and he prayed. He didn't find Lydia there. He <laughs> prayed the Lord would send him someone that he could teach. And he ran almost immediately into an old classmate. 
This was Miran, and his classmate was Yindra. And he taught him, and he obeyed the gospel. And Yindra said, do you remember Misha and what a good girl she was? So they went to her, they taught her the gospel. And Misha said, well, how about, and I forget this other girl's name, and they taught her the gospel. As, as years went on, these two men, these two girls were married. Well, you know, one to one, one to the other. And then they found another young man, and he converted a young lady. So you have six young couples. The church grew. They converted parents. They converted other people. But it started with one man who said, as a new Christian, what will I do? And we said, you will start a church. And by the way, he began full-time preaching for them. And he did not send to the United States for funds. The new church in Prague supported him. So it does not take a professional, it does not take an organization, it takes faith, it takes determination, as John the Baptist had, mission, regardless of what happens. Wow, good story. It's interesting as you consider uh, another occasion in the life of Jesus, there was a man who had been possessed by demons, even this, they described the number as legion. And after the demons were cast out of him, Jesus was getting ready to get back in the boat and leave. People were so afraid of Jesus, they told him to leave. And this man who had been possessed wanted to get in the boat with Jesus. And listen to what Jesus said in Luke 8 in verse 39. It says, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. Hmm. And he goes on to say, and he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And it's very interesting of what he was able to accomplish. Now, I realize that he didn't, may not have had a lot of depth, but every one of us can do that much if we're Christian, can't we? Yeah. And teaching is necessary, but above all, we need to have a penitent heart that is serious about sharing what God has done for us. And we can't be afraid of the message. We cannot be afraid to say, repent. That was John's message. And there were those who did not receive it. There were those who did. He would tell the soldiers, be content with your wages. He would tell the lenders, be content with, or the tax collectors, with what is due you. He told everybody, if you have two cloaks, sell one, give to another. Now, we live in a, an area and a time where there is plenty. There are still people in need. Maybe that doesn't ring so important to us, but yet this attitude of giving and sharing and teaching you know, when I say sharing, I, I almost cringe because so many times in our little classes, that's about all the teachers are teaching little children. Share this, share that. Well, there's some more important things, but there is the importance of sharing, and we need to be ready to do that. And uh, it takes ordinary people. It takes gospel preachers. It takes a person like John the Baptist to say, this is what God said do. This is what he has given me to do. I will do it. Let, let me uh, ask a question about uh, John on the opposite side of what you're talking about. He's called John the Baptist. That's what he's called, right, in the Bible? But uh, Larry, yes, didn't he refuse to baptize a few people? It's interesting as you look at John the Baptist. Um, he was not a liked man by the religious leadership. And let, let's work our way to the, the point you ask. John lived in a time of great corruption, of great hypocrisy. The religious leaders, the two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, there's literally only one high priest, but Rome had replaced one, and they, but they still, uh, there was the father-in-law, uh, one was the father-in-law, another was the high priest. These men show you how corrupt they were. 
they had Jesus who committed no sin crucified. And you look at the, how can I say, at the so-called trial. They lied. They broke every law they had. They came up with a, a false accusation that they said he was guilty of blasphemy. And then they take him to Pilate. And rather than bringing in the charge they had convicted him of, they came to Pilate and says, oh, he's, he's guilty of wanting to be a king of treason. And these guys would lie through their teeth to try to murder a man. And this was the religious leaders of the day. In John 18, 28, to show you their hypocrisy, the Bible says this, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium. Now listen to this, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They were worried about, so to speak, being defiled because they would go into the place of a Gentile, and they had just been participating in, the, in, in setting up the cold-blooded murder of a man, they lied against him. That was the religious leadership. Now, what kind of reception do you think a man like John would have received sincere teaching the truth? It wouldn't have been a very good reception. Now, real quickly, let's go to baptism. The fact that he taught baptism was a point that a lot of people wouldn't realize would have been highly, highly controversial uh, at that time. At the very beginning, he, he would be, be preaching repentance. We talked about that. But he also commanded men and women to be baptized for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. And it's interesting, as you begin to consider baptism up to this point, that had not existed in, in the Old Testament. There's no mention of baptism. There's no command of baptism. And so what John the Baptist is doing is he's doing something that had not been done before. And he's dealing with having people come to him, and they would receive the remission of sins. Now, think about this Old Testament system. If you want to be forgiven, you need to go to the temple. You need to go to the priesthood. You need to have animal sacrifices. And now here is a preaching that involves people going outside that realm to find the forgiveness of sins. The religious leaders ask them about it, question them about it, pressed him about it, but that was a very controversial thing. Well, that's, in fact, that is going against everything that the, even um, uh, the law of Moses is teaching. Yeah. You don't get forgiveness of sins by doing that. So this is clearly something that's new. Yeah, that was the great threat to the priesthood, Drew. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was background for it. Baptism was a new thing, as Larry said. But they were accustomed to the idea of washing. They were unclean. They had to be washed. Then there were the priests when they went into the tabernacle or the temple. There was the great labor of water. They had to bathe therein to go into it. So there was at least this concept. But I don't know if those priests were smart enough to think. They knew there was a threat to them in the work of John the Baptist and Jesus. But what that was saying is that people who are baptized, it's God's plan that they become priests and they go into the house of God. We do not depend on someone to go into the house of God for us. We repent and we are baptized and we come into relationship to God and we are priests. And whether they recognized all that threat or not, they saw enough threat, but there was a tremendous threat to those priests who were very concerned for their place and for their nation. It was Caiaphas who said, it's better that one man died, Jesus, than that the whole nation perish and that we lose 
our place. So you could see their concern for their place. And that was a lot more to meant more to them than the, the truth did. And so you're preaching something that's going to be very unpopular, something that's not going to be well received by the important people of the land, but the people heard it who loved the Lord, they obeyed and they found their way into the kingdom of God. And so, I think I interrupted you, but you were getting to answer the question about some of them. He refused to baptize, right? Yeah, apparently so. And I'm taking this from Matthew chapter three and verse seven, the Pharisees and the, the, the religious leadership, they kept an eye on John. They sent, if you could call them spies, they came out there. They want to know what was going on. And so here they are in the audience. Imagine you being in the audience and this was said to you, Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. I will say this. John the Baptist wanted to baptize those who had repented. And without repentance, uh, it was not going to be accepted, whatever they did. And so I could imagine some not being baptized. Can y'all, it looks like I've had something happen technically here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, hear you. And we see you. Very All good. Right. All right. And that okay. leads me to what Dale was saying. Uh, he was, kind of, here's, I have a question here. It says, this kind of preaching then will immediately bring division, right? It did, yes. Right? And, and that goes against what Christ wanted, right? Didn't Christ want unity? Well, he said he came to bring a sword. But all who responded to him were united in the house of God and his brothers and sisters in Christ, men of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. The world may have tried to unify people, but they've never been very successful. But in prophecy from Isaiah 2 onward into the work of John the Baptist and in the work of Christ, men of all sorts and kinds have been brought together and they dwell together there in peace. And they're doing this all over the world in the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. So yes, he brought a unity but he's divided them from the rest of the world and the world who hates the gospel, they will fight it tenaciously. Just like those religious leaders, they hated it. Another thing that made John unpopular is that he did the teaching necessary to bring repentance. Now I don't, anybody's ever become a Christian, anyone, you understand the difficult process of repentance. You're going to have to hear some things that hurt about your sin, about where you've gone, what you're doing. The kind of preaching that brings repentance gets personal. It needs to be plain. It needs to be done in love. But most people are not seeking repentance. Jesus mentioned that in John 3, 19 and 20, that there are those that don't come to light because their deeds are evil and they don't want to know. So there's a division. Most of the people in that culture that heard John didn't want him. But amongst the few that won't change, want that substantial relationship with God based upon reality, they loved him and they would have stood with him. Dale? Yeah, repentance is not saying you know, I think I need to get back to church, and I drift into church. You look at the word itself, metanoia, change of mind. It's not making a small adjustment here and there in life. They had to absolutely change their minds 
to be disciples of John and then to become disciples of Jesus Christ and citizens of the kingdom. And that's a challenge out in the world. But how do you get people to do that? What kind of message? Really, here's the bottom line of what we've said. We started off talking about personal evangelism and ordinary people going out and doing it. And then we built this beautiful case about John the Baptist, how he accomplished what he did. And so in our talking about John and his greatness, and and you can go ahead further with how great Jesus said he was. Yet when we look at that, we see, okay, if we're going to succeed as John did, this is the kind of people we're going to have to be. We're going to have to give up everything. Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that renounceth not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean that when the time comes to make a choice, I choose Christ over my car, I choose Christ over my job, I choose Christ over my house. It says when I become a Christian, all that becomes secondary. The kingdom of God, Jesus Christ is first. What brings that about? Repentance. And what brings about repentance? The kind of truth preaching that John did, that Jesus did, that the apostles did, that'll change the world. Not just deciding, I think I'll start the church. Gee, Dale, that sounds kind of radical, don't you think? Very radical. Exceedingly so. Exceedingly so. Larry, were you going to another point there? Yes, uh, just along these same lines. What If you're preaching repentance, you preach the whole counsel of God. You hold nothing back. You're honest. And? That's eventually what caused John to be executed. He had a situation in Scripture, and I'll try to bring the passage up here. Uh, here he was preaching uh, on, uh, to uh, uh, Herod, and he made this statement. He says, for John said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, somebody may have said, well, you didn't need to do that. <laughs> what you need to have done is just talk about how good God is and his grace and his mercy and let him be baptized. And then a few years down the line, just sneak this in. That's not how he did it. And again, we're talking about wisdom. Sometimes I think we think we're smarter than God. Sometimes I think we think we know better how to accomplish the work of preparing a people for Christ than God did. There's no substitute the truth, the whole truth, done kindly, mercifully, patiently. But you start doing the work the way God wants it, some people are going to be mad at you. You know, we're starting from an outline, really, that Larry had done about John the Baptist. And as, as you look at this character and we dwell on him and we see what he was, a forerunner, of the kingdom of God and of the Messiah. That's what we are. And if he was the forerunner of all of that, he is the forerunner of what we are and what Jesus Christ intends us to be. And Drew mentioned, this is radical. Yes, the world is going to consider it exceedingly radical. And Larry, you mentioned about the goodness of God. Yes, God is good, but there's some consequences of that. In fact, how good we can say God was holy and he is the only one that is intrinsically holy. We obtain our holiness in the forgiveness of our sins. But here's the consequence of that. If God is holy, he can have nothing to do with that which is defiled and unholy. And if I want to retain my sins and hold on to unrighteous practices, God can have nothing to do with me. We have all sinned, and thus we've all been separated from God, and it is through Christ we have the ability to have our sins forgiven and end in our following him and walking in righteousness 
have ourselves then recognized by God as righteous, as holy. But here's another thought. The only religion in this world that has a holy God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Allah is not a holy God. He accepts people if they've done more good works than bad, but he's accepting sinners. No other religion has a provision for getting rid of sin. And so God is good and he is love. That's why he provided a way to get rid of our sin. But we have to do that and live apart from it if we're going to have association with God. So people say, well, God's good. Yes, he is good. But that means doesn't make it easy on us that there are demands that come to us because God is good and God is holy. It's interesting as we begin to bring people to know God who's great, he's good, he's holy. We're going to need to understand that as we do evangelism, we bring truth everywhere. And there's going to be the majority of people are not going to like it. We've got to have a mentality, not a close-minded mentality, but a mentality of conviction. We need to know why we believe and where we stand. Very similar to the days of John the Baptist were the days of uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I want to share a screen here. In Ezekiel chapter 3, we read about the, uh, the, the difficult situation that Ezekiel would face. He says, but the house of Israel, here's God speaking to Ezekiel, but the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-headed. <laughs> Behold, I have made your face stronger against their faces and your forehead stronger against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor to be dismayed at their looks, for though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all of my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And so as we go about this work, there's some things we don't have to figure out. We need to know God's word. We need to know who God is. We don't have to come up with all this in ingenuity that sometimes people think we need to have. But we need to be firm and determined. And we need to accept the rejection that will come by many as we teach. We're looking for the few that really want truth. Well, you mentioned Ezekiel and you mentioned John the Baptist. And there's also Jeremiah. How would we like it if God says, I've got a mission for you. And in this mission, I'm going to turn you against the land. I'm going to turn you against the princes and the princes against you and the priests, priests against you and the people against you. I mean, there's the population, there's the religious establishment, there's the political establishment. They're all against you. That's what it was with John. That's the mission that he set out upon. And that was the result of the kind of preaching that he did in this world. I, I guess we have looked at this nation in the past and we have seen that it has had a sense of goodness, never truly giving itself to God except for disciples of Christ. But as it grows worse and worse and worse, we can see ourselves more in the times of John the Baptist and the things we have to stand against and the challenge against the political system, against the religious system, against even the people. But to preach to those who will have that change of mind, change of mind and repent and come to God. That's narrow. Well, that's kind of what Jesus said. Narrow is the way and few are they that find it. How'd you like I set you up for that one, Dale? That's yeah, yeah, where I was going with that one. 
Yeah. Well, let me mention another thing about John the Baptist. What kind of heart do we need to have? We, we've seen it's going to be a difficult work, rewarding for the few who find it. But I love this passage about John. I want to share that again on the screen for those that are watching. And um, in John chapter 3 and verse 29, it says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him he rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, here's John the Baptist speaking. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's interesting. It's not uh, very long after this. You get to John chapter 4, and you read this. It says, therefore, in the Lord... Uh, excuse me, sorry, got his screens messed up on me here a little bit. Is it therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciple, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. You find here that Jesus is becoming greater. And John is going, yes, that's what I want. And as we are teachers today, that's our goal. It's not about us. It's not about Dale or Drew or Larry. It's about the Lord. We're not in here to create our own following. We want people to find the Lord in his purity as is revealed in his word. That's the joy we'll find. Amen to that, Larry. You know, we, we talked earlier today uh, about John and about his faith. And after he is imprisoned, we're puzzled because he sends to Jesus and said, are you he, or do we look for another? And we go back to the very beginning of his ministry and, and all of these wonderful things we've said about him and his strength of character. But you know, when you've been preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, and Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then you're arrested, and your head is about to be chopped off. And you begin to wonder, what's going wrong? Is, is it been delayed? What's, what's happening? And he sent his disciples to ask. And Jesus said, go back and tell John. He didn't say, yep, I'm he. He said, the lame walk, the blind see, the poor have good tidings preached to them. And the other blessings that are mentioned there. These come out of Isaiah 35, 42, 61. And especially that jubilee that was anticipated. And that's all John needed. He said, that's what God said. This is happening. I made understand why I am in prison with the kingdom of God coming but this is he. John was satisfied and he could die in peace. That's a man of faith. Now, it's interesting you said that. He's a man of faith. He had a lot of conviction, but I got a little hint out of that that maybe he had some doubts somewhere along the line. Well, he did. Go ahead, Larry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got the verse that uh, you, you referenced. I want to go ahead and just share that for people who are looking, at least watching it on uh, the computer. It says, and John called, this is Luke 7, 19 and 20. And John called two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And you look at this and you go, what? Here in John 1, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He, he said, well, God was going to show me that, that when the spirit comes down, the one that I baptized, this is the one. But here, John is in prison. He's isolated. And so, verse 20, it says, When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? You know one thing that John had to do? What we have to do. We have to keep learning. 
John probably was like the disciples and did not fully understand that Jesus was going to die on the cross. His disciples didn't understand it until after the event. But you know what he knew? He knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and so he asked for answers. And as you mentioned, Dale, Scripture was quoted. He got to see that, and as a result, his doubts were answered. Still questions he would have. Uh, We all are growing. The apostles had a lot more to grow after Jesus chose them. And the more we study God's word, the more faith we're going to have. He could look back at Elijah. Elijah dressed like he did. He was out in the wilderness like he was. And he had that tremendous victory over all the prophets of Baal. And after that great victory, he still hears of the opposition of Jezebel. He's under the juniper tree and he says, I alone am left. He's just ready to die. And yet he had great days ahead of him. So he had his down moment, even after his victory. John is wondering, but then they can piece it together, whether they understand the details or not. God's word is true. God's promises are true. They will press on and they will accomplish it. And they did. And and while we're talking about that, there's also Elisha who followed him. Elisha was different than Elijah. Elisha was out amongst the people, and he even had a school for the training of prophets. And so here comes Jesus, and in a different way than John the Baptist taught out there in the wilderness, and the people having to go out to him. He was in and out among the people. He had the people that he put together, the 12 that he worked with. And you begin to look at God's word, and I don't know that that John the Baptist went through the process of all of this, but it's there. It's for us when we need it to see how every bit of that fits together, and you can trust God's word. And if we're discouraged, Go back and look at the people who were discouraged. See their victories. Look at John the Baptist. Yeah, and 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 in our discouragement, don't let us lose our faith, but let us recognize that there is an answer. And just like Jesus gave the answer to John uh, using Scripture, that's where we got to go to get our strength and answer. If we can't find it, we help ask other people to help us find it. I'd like to go back to the beginning. How good a job did John do? in preparing the way for Jesus. Obviously, he did a perfect job. Mm -hmm. But you know, one of the greatest compliments that I find in the scripture came from the most unlikely source. John had been executed by Herod. Then Herod hears about Jesus. I'm sure heard about his teaching, what he was doing. And I want to show you a verse. Very, very interesting. And I think it's a compliment, probably maybe not intended, but in, um, uh, we've got the wrong way. Anyway, and, uh, the passage, and that's the wrong verse, didn't come up right here. But when it came to, uh, when John, Herod first heard about uh, Jesus, the Bible says that he thought that, here, let me get the scripture. I got it now. Okay, here we go. He thought that this was, and I'll quote from the scripture. This is in uh, Mark 6.16. But when Herod heard it, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. John the, I mean, John the Baptist, his work was so good that when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, this is John the Baptist. I think he did a pretty good job. And that's all our goal is today. We want to be like Jesus. We want to approach things as Jesus did. We want to lead people to him. And there's a way to do that. You know, after, after our talking, I jotted down some things I, I want to do my closing with, but I've noticed something else I've done. I've caught myself talking with my eyes closed. I don't preach like that. 
but I, I don't preach looking at myself either. <laughs> I'm looking at myself, and then I realized I had my eyes closed. So for this final part, folks, I'm going to try to keep my eyes open. You look at John the Baptist. He was successful because he had a purpose. And that purpose was the supreme thing in his life. If he did not accomplish anything else, it was first. He did renounce all that he had. He had humility, as you had mentioned. He must decrease. Jesus Christ must increase. There was certainly a lack of ego in all of that, which is a curse to us. And so in his sense of duty, his humility prevailed over all of that. You know, when my wife was dying, she got to anticipating what was over there on the other side and, and seeing the positive parts. But she says, you know, when I get over there and there's Paul and Lydia and all of these people and all that they've done, how will I fit in with that? And it was Daryl, my son, who said, Paul did what the Lord gave him to do. Mom, you did the same thing. You have done what the Lord gave you to do. John the Baptist did what the Lord gave him to do. There was that tenacity. There was that faith that when he was discouraged and he had questions, all you had to do was remind him of what had been prophesied, what was in the scripture, and there he was. And so he preached truth, truth, truth that led to repentance, that led to changes of mind, led to a change of the world that has changed history because he laid the foundation for the one who did all of that. Absolutely. Any other thoughts, though, Larry, coming from you on your side? Well... Oh, wait a minute. I got an, I, not an idea. I got something that just made sense, too, based on what Dale was saying. Oh, no, actually, you were saying about Herod. What was it about Herod that he put John into jail to begin with? Well, um, he preached on marriage, divorce, and marriage, I guess, you know. Right, because Jesus used the teachings that, uh, the, the practice, that John practiced when he was alive, and that was it reveals the hearts. Yes. Of his hearers. Now, I don't think it would have bothered Herod if it revealed what he was like to everybody else because everyone knew what it was like. But when it revealed it to himself, that he didn't like. Yes. And that is the risky part of evangelism. Our goal is not just to deliver information, although that's good to do that if that's all you can do. But ultimately, our goal is to get people's hearts opened so they can make a decision. And I will tell you, that's more dangerous than handling nitroglycerin. Yeah. That is in the work of opening hearts. And sometimes people don't want you to see what is inside. And you, you see the example in Acts 2. It says in Acts 2, 37, they were pricked in the heart, and they asked men and brethren, what we should, shall we do? Then you also go to Acts chapter 7, where Stephen pricked them in the heart, and they gnashed their teeth and ran upon them and killed them with stones. So get ready. Let's share about, talk about Jesus, what good things he's done for us. But understand the dangerous territory we're in. Larry, you've talked about a lot of reasons for doing this. And there's one more that's a very practical thing, very personal to you and me. Do you have a picture of that young un? You know what? I think I do. Just I just may just happen to have one ready here. Let's see if we can... Let's see. Uh, here we go. Y'all see it? Oh, look at there that. There it is. That's my great-granddaughter. That's Larry's granddaughter. And if we don't preach the gospel in the world and let the gospel have its impact and change people and change the world, can you imagine the world this little gal's going to have to grow up in? What's her name? 
Fiona. Fiona. Adorable. Adorable. You guys are acting just like grandparents. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, we are. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot all about that picture. Well, listen, I really want to thank both you fellas uh, for your uh, input, your, your comments, uh, sharing your knowledge and your experiences. Dale, thank you for those experiences you shared with us on those two occasions. And I, I want to invite you guys back another time. I hope you'll be available in the future and we can have you come back on and we'll discuss some other topics. And we didn't get any questions today. I'm looking in, in both areas here and I don't see any questions that came in today, but it was a very interesting topic and I want to thank you. Any, anything you want to close out with before we go, gentlemen? Just to say thanks, Drew. Glad to be with you and Larry. It's a really, really great privilege to be with you today. Oh, I appreciate that. Likewise, thankful to be with you. I needed we needed to have a southern accent on your program, and so I'm glad to provide it. <laughs> you mean I have an accent, Larry? You mean I got a New Jersey accent? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, thanks, thanks a lot, guys. I look forward to seeing you again, and I invite everyone to come back again next Tuesday at 2 p.m. and we'll discuss and start other things going. Thanks a lot. Have a good week. <laughs>